Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School, the podcast where you get fresh insight from leaders at top tech companies and startups. Remember, you can learn product management in person at our 15 campuses worldwide or study with us online. Visit productschool.com to learn more about our courses. You can also hang out with the leaders from these podcasts at our hundreds of annual events and catch us at ProductCon, the world's largest PM conference that takes place every year across the United States and in London. Hi, everyone. First of all, it's an absolute honor to be here at the ProductCon conference. Um, yeah, I feel, I feel truly special to be speaking in front of all of you. Um, I am here to speak about betas, essentially. What do they mean? What does it take to create them? What does it mean to manage them? And how to truly leverage them to uh, launch successful products? So before we get to that, a little bit about myself. Uh, so like what most PMs say, I am actually not an accidental product manager. Um, I went to Carnegie Mellon in 2009 to become a software engineer only to realize that I'd make a much better PM. Um, although we didn't have as many PMs back then, probably only Microsoft used to have product managers. Um, I started as a technology analyst at BlackRock where I was working with engineering and business and essentially cracking down requirements on their trading platform. From there, I moved on to working at a consumer lending startup called LendUp. I was totally stoked about disrupting the payday lending uh, industry. And now I am a product manager at Mixpanel on our data team. So for people in the audience that don't know what Mixpanel is, we are essentially an event tracking tool, a user behavior analytics tool. And for those who don't know what data governance is, what I work on, that's essentially making sure we've got data that's usable, that's secure. We ensure the integrity of data. Etc. So I want to start with something about what should PMs be focused on? What should be our number one kind of thing that's really, really crucial for us? And while I'm on that topic, I want to read out this customer obsession principle by Amazon, which says, leaders start with customers, work backwards. They work vigorously to earn and keep customer trust. Although leaders pay attention to competitors, they obsess over their customers. And this is so true. Like for us as PMs, our customers are very important. Their problems should be very important to us. We should almost obsess over what our customers are dealing with. All right, so what do I mean by staying customer obsessed? Um, what do you guys think great PMs should do? In my opinion, what like most PMs have told me, it's about creating opportunities that solve customer problems. And the key here lies in identifying challenging problems, high-priority problems that can essentially create value, not just for the customer, but also for your business. And from there, it's all about figuring out what's a minimum viable product that you can launch that can essentially solve a customer pain point. And you almost want to keep this going on in an iterative loop where you continue to collect, analyze, and then take action on the feedback that you're gathering from your customer. Okay, so how can PMs go about looking for these opportunities? How do we find these customer problems? So at Mixpanel, we do some of these things. Um, most importantly, we do Mixpanel on Mixpanel. Essentially, we use data. Uh, so Mixpanel essentially, again, tells customers how their customers are using their apps. Uh, so Mixpanel helps us the same way. It gives us the data about how users are using Mixpanel, which means we are using data to find dissatisfied customers. 
We also leverage the Mixpanel Community Forum and Salesforce, where our go-to-market teams and our customers are logging product gaps. This is essentially everything that our customers are telling us, kind of the problems that we can solve for them in Mixpanel, in addition to what Mixpanel already offers. And then most importantly, we get in front of our customers. Believe me, no amount of tooling is going to help or match a real conversation with, that you have with your customer or what your customers are telling you about your product. So get out there, talk to your customers. And this is what you really do. Make sure you're always focusing on launching great products. And I want to double-click here on the word launch because I cannot stress enough how important it is to have a good launch process as you set out to build winning solutions. And while I'm on that topic of flawless launches, here is an almost flawless launch by SpaceX. So these guys managed to land all their three uh, Falcon Heavy rocket boosters very recently, and that was for the first time. And anyone that has been following that story knows that didn't come to them very easily. In fact, it took quite a few unsuccessful attempts before they managed to have all those three land. All right. Um, so before I get into the meat of the presentation, I want to spend a little more time about the evolution of the product development process. Product development has really evolved in the last 10 years, and I'm sure you'll agree. Um, I mean, even the role of a product manager itself has evolved from someone who merely brings order and prioritization to engineering tasks to someone who can actually have a strong opinion on the direction that the product should take. At least there's an expectation that you can come in and operate like a mini-CEO. So product development has definitely become something that's more iterative. It's become really, really crucial that you find a problem, you get an MVP in front of your customer, and then once that first pass looks good, you can continue to pick more challenging problems, continue to build solutions, get those in front of customers. And this iterative process that I'm talking about is what's called a beta. And once you know, you feel confident as a PM and as a team that you've really established a solution to a larger problem set, that's when you make your product generally available. Now, there are also situations when you understand the customer requirement, you even have a minimum viable product, but you just don't feel confident enough to get in front of a customer, in which case you do something pre-beta, which is called an alpha. So let's just, let's just dive straight into kind of the meat of what I'm talking about. What are alphas? What are betas? What does it mean to GA a product? So when do you do alpha? So like I said, this is typically when you understand your customer requirements, You've done some user research. You even have an MVP. But maybe the product that you're launching is going to touch or impact every customer. Maybe the stakes are high. Or maybe this is a radically new solution to a long-standing challenge your product has had. And then it makes sense to do some sort of internal testing. So then maybe you want to get your product in front of internal stakeholders, employees in your company, that are a fair and a good representation of your actual customer. Now, someone may argue maybe that's not required. Maybe you do some sort of A-B testing. Totally makes sense. Uh, if you don't want to do alpha, maybe uh, get the product in front of some customers that you've built a rapport with and where you know the reputational risk is almost null. For most products, though, I believe a beta will make sense. Um, so what's the strategy behind doing betas What's the idea behind getting a product that has known bugs and gaps, 
getting that in front of the customer and having these customers report these bugs to you. Makes no sense. Um, let's set the record straight. Betas are for external testing. But don't get me wrong. Uh, that doesn't mean you use your customers to QA your product. That means that you seek validation from these customers. This is your opportunity to tell your customers that you're listening to what they're telling you. You want to solve challenging business problems. Uh, you want to help them. And their sentiment about the product really, really matters. And their feedback is important. So this is truly an opportunity to establish that customer empathy. All right. So who are these customers? Like, who are the beta customers? Um, well, obviously, these are people that are early adopters of your product. These are people that love your product. These are people that are happy to take out time and play with these new features, share feedback with your designers, your PMs. Uh, most people like to think of them as the whales. Um, how, do you, how do you get people to beta test your product? Well, one simple way is you just make an announcement and let people know that there's a beta coming up and have customers self-nominate. Maybe you do, you offer like a restricted set of people that can do it. Another thing that PMs should always do outside of a beta process is think about building a generic pool of your power users or customers that you know really love your product and have this pool of beta testers always ready. So whenever you want to get a product in front of customers, you already have this pool. And while you do that, make sure you get every customer segment covered. So in case of Mixpanel, we always make sure we get a couple of free customers, a couple of small and medium businesses, some commercial, some large enterprises. That way we know that we are gathering feedback from across the spectrum. All right, now you'll tell me, Awesome, that's great. I think I know who my beta testers can be. But Prachi, it's really hard to get customers to commit to test. Uh, so how do I incentivize people to test my product? Well, in my opinion, and I promise what most PMs have told me, you don't have to incentivize anyone. If you've been listening to your customers all through, and if you can tell them that the product that you're launching is going to create value for them, they will be more than happy to participate in a beta. In fact, you'll run into a situation where you'll have to tell them that we've, you know, these are the only beta testers that we are allowing, and we are actually running out of seats. However, you do want to thank your beta testers as a gesture. I mean, people are taking our time playing with these products that are rough, giving you feedback. Um, you could do a couple of things at Mixpanel. We are a subscription-based product. We offer some add-ons for an extra cost. So sometimes when we are building products in a closed beta, we... Give them, give them to customers for no cost until their next renewal. More than that, um, I think what customers love about the betas is the fact that now they get the opportunity to truly influence and shape the roadmap. So there is a direct channel of feedback between us and the customer for them to always tell us what would they, what would they like the product to do more or how can this product truly shape up. And people love that. A little more about kind of how we, at least at Mixpanel, go about setting up these betas. Um, so we have our go-to-market teams, and that includes customer success managers, account executives, relationship managers. These are people that are always talking to the customers. So they will help us nominate these customers towards the actual betas or just for doing user research. 
Um, like I said, PMs are always looking at Salesforce. They're always looking at our community forums. So we also can always directly reach out to a customer, let them know, hey, a beta was coming. Would you like to participate? And we get really, really good responses from that channel. Um, and while I'm on this slide, I, I, I just want to say that I cannot stress enough how much of a leverage the betas have been for us to build relationships with customers, um, for our customers to feel valued, that we are giving them early access, and sometimes even to close deals. So the next question could be, how many customers should I have in my beta? What makes sense? What is scalable in terms of the number of customers that I can actually sit down with and have those real conversations, like I said? Um, well, it really depends on you. You want to use your gut and your product intuition to figure out what makes sense. But I think what I can give you is the idea of a private beta and a, versus a public beta. So a private beta, also known as a closed beta, is essentially giving access to a restricted audience. So it's by invitation only. The, uh, the good thing about that is it's a smaller sample size, which means now you can indulge in qualitative feedback. You can actually set up time with the customers, go speak to them, um, and that's awesome. However, sometimes it makes sense that your features just need to get in front of more and more customers, in which case you want to do an open beta, um, and that means anyone that has access to your product gets access to this feature that's in beta. Uh, in this case, it's a larger sample size, in which case you will probably lean more on quantitative feedback. But feel free to pick some power users there again and do some amount of qualitative feedback because you always want to marry the two. You don't want to always, you don't want to in any case lean on just one. Um, this is an example, hopefully you guys can see this. This is an example of an email invite that I sent recently for a um, product that I launched in Alpha. It was a pre-beta testing effort. Uh, what I want to call out here is I made it very clear to the customer that this is a beta, so what is so-and-so is the scope of this feature. Um, also, the fact that it, has, it, it looks rough right now, and we are going to use their feedback to improve it and make it better for future customers. All right, I know I said that you want to make it clear to the customer that this has rough edges, but never, ever use a beta to release poor quality software. So make sure you have processes um, and good QA efforts that kind of go in before you make a product available to your power users or people who take out time to give you feedback. I mean, you want to do them a service by not giving them something that's poor quality. So in no way is it, a, is it an excuse to ship something that is substandard. Um, Another soft alert about the administrative overhead that comes sometimes with setting up and managing betas. So for us, the Mixpanel PMs, that looks like leveraging and jumping in and out of a bunch of tools, be it Slack, Google Forms, other Google Docs, um, Calendly, surveys, emails. So it can be exhausting, and it is a little bit of work, but it's all well worth it. All right, very important, support. Now, why do you need support during a beta? Well, it's a new product, it's a new feature, and you want to give enough resources to your customers so that they can navigate this new product. PMs, designers, engineers, support to some extent can own this. And what I want to say, like, like what do you really want to do? Like, yes, having good documentation is perfect, but this is really about establishing a direct feedback channel. 
So again, I don't know if you can see that blue banner that I've put below in that slide, but that's what we do. We literally put those blue banners every time we, we kick off a beta. And that gives someone that direct access. It's a direct channel for them to talk to PMs and designers. And it's extremely important, again, that you're, you're talking to customers, you're giving quick responses, the resolutions are fast. Um, and that's, again, your opportunity to show customer empathy. That's your opportunity to show that, hey, I'm listening. Like, tell me more. What else can I do? So make sure your responses are quick um, when you keep or when you establish these direct channels of feedback. Um, internal training is good, but again, keep that to a limited. By that, I mean, by the way, the employees that work in your company. So that training is great, but keep that to a limited because your product is going to evolve through your beta. The most important step, much like what the previous speaker, Deb, spoke about, which is measuring outcomes. So any time you kick off a beta or any time that you're solving a problem for um, a customer, make sure that you're always measuring the outcomes. So any problem that you're solving for your customer, make that as a goal for your team. Uh, pick metrics that can tie back to that goal. Use tools like Mixpanel to get your quantitative feedback or get in front of the customer, talk to them. So marry this quantitative and qualitative feedback. Keep track of all the bugs that the customer has been reporting. But most importantly, as you're measuring outcomes, the idea here is to move fast. So you want to have those direct feedback channels. You want to respond fast to what the customers are telling you. And you want to keep fine-tuning the product so that you can get it in front of more and more customers. So how long can a product stay in beta? Again, that's something that you as a PM would have to and collectively as a team you can own that decision, but typically products remain in beta for four to six weeks. Um, so hopefully you can see that image there, but usually when products are in beta, there's going to be some sort of a visual indicator or a label that says that it's in beta. Um, so when you take a product of beta, you're essentially ripping out that label. And you want to, again, like I said, make sure you're using feedback from the customer to make that decision. It involves a little bit of product intuition and gut here as well. Um, the good thing about betas is that the change management is straightforward. So if you as a team figure out that you did not, in fact, solve the problem for a customer, hopefully you didn't create more problems, but maybe you didn't, your solution didn't really work for the customer, then you can always roll back, and you can get back to the whiteboard with your team to figure out how else you can approach that problem. And before your uh, product is ready to take the center stage or before the big day, you want to do a couple of things. So you want to make sure you have a good go-to-market strategy or a good launch plan. Um, so here is an example. I don't want to run down this list really, but again, I want to double underline the importance of having that launch plan, how important it is to have um, a, you know, a tracking plan, communication, training, and when I say communication, I even mean sending maybe targeted emails to whatever customer segments that you have. And here comes your big day because you can now GA your product. So pop the champagne, celebrate, um, and most importantly as a PM, don't forget to congratulate and celebrate your team that truly shed their blood and tears to get that product to market. It's really, really important to call out people that work hard to launch products. 
So to summarize everything that I said, once again, stay customer focused, find critical, um, challenging customer pain points that can bring value not just to the customer, but maybe even to your business. Um, create value by launching great products. Go through the alpha and the, the beta processes that I spoke about. Uh, have those direct channels of feedback. Gather feedback from the customer. Learn from them. And most importantly, act fast. Um, once you have realized that you have landed on a problem-solution fit, move on to the next customer problem and keep that innovation loop going. And because we are at a product conference, I want to leave everyone with some food for thought. Um, I stumbled upon this on the Growth Hackers website, but that says, achieving product market fit requires at least 40% of your users saying they would be very disappointed without your product. I think that's a great target to set up for yourself when you're evaluating if the solution that you've launched has uh, solved the problem or you need to still iterate on it. And with that, I'd like to thank everyone. Thank you for listening to the Product Podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.